Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. We will continue our discussion on the Bible uh, for this episode. Uh, We've been going through this series on the wonderful Bible. Uh, The Bible, uh, which was inspired by God himself, uh, using men to write down uh, what he wanted to communicate to humanity, And we call it the Biblios, the book, the Bible, Uh, Old and New Testament, 66 books of the Bible. Again, inspired by God. And it is a beautiful message to humanity. We learn from the Bible, the origin of men. We learn from the Bible, uh, the origin of sin. We learn from the Bible, the origin of suffering. But more importantly, we learn from the scriptures, we learn about redemption, this idea of going to the market and purchasing something and taking it off the market. That's the Old Testament concept of redemption. God bought us off the market of sin. And as a result, we owe him something. And so the Bible tells us about humanity, about our origin, about uh, our faults, but more importantly, the um, ability to be reconciled back to the God who created us. And we learn all that through the Bible. And so it is my contention that whatever we're going through, God has a biblical principle found in the scriptures to apply to your situation. If you're dealing with discouragement, there's a passage in the Bible to deal and help you with your discouragement. If you're dealing with being abandoned, uh, there's a scripture in the Bible to deal with your uh, abandonment. If you're dealing with addictions, there are scriptures in the Bible to help you with your dependency. If you're dealing with marital relationships, there are passages in the Bible to help you with your relationship on how to be a man of God, how to be a woman of God, about how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. Uh, If you have issues with parenting, there are passages in the Bible uh, that can help you Raise up your children in the admonition of the Lord. If you're dealing with uh, children that have strayed away, there's definitely passages that can help you with the prodigal. So whatever we're going through, whether it's finances, whether it's death, whether it's birth, there are passages in the Bible uh, that deals with your situation. Uh, I know in the world... uh, One of the big tech companies says that there's an app for that. Well, um, if we were to follow the same mindset, we can say 
there's a scripture for that. Whatever you're going through, there is a scripture for that. So the Bible, as I mentioned in previous episode, is one of the most sold uh, books in the world. However, the problem is not the selling of the Bible, but the application of the Bible. I know even in a courtroom in the United States, uh, people put their hands on the Bible and swear to tell the truth, nothing but the truth. Uh, but doesn't mean those individuals actually open up uh, the Bible and read it. Uh, so it's not, it doesn't necessarily follow, follow that just because somebody put their hand in the Bible and swear unto uh, the Bible that they actually know uh, the Jesus of the Bible. So just because we have a Bible on the coffee table, just because we own a Bible doesn't necessarily mean we are reading the Bible. And the application of the Bible is where we have uh, the most challenges. People don't mind confessing they have a Bible. Uh, Now we have Bibles electronically. Uh, Thank God for that option. Um, We have a print Bible. We, not only do we have Bibles, we have Bibles in different languages, different translations, so you can better understand God's Word. It's a beautiful thing. But again, you can have the best-looking Bible. It can be leather-bound. It could uh, have red letters. You can have your cross-references uh, in the center column. You can have your footnotes with the Masoretic Commentaries. Uh, you can have a concordance in the back and, uh, to uh, com- uh, consult. You can have your, uh, your lexicons uh, in the Bible. You can have your beautiful illustrated uh, map of the Old Testament and New Testament. You can have all of that. But if you don't read and study the Bible, you've wasted your time. And that not only are you to read and study the Bible. If you don't apply it, you've wasted your time. So the most important things is when you read the Bible, when you study the Bible, is to put it into action. Is to put it into action. Application is missing oftentimes with people that own Bibles. If we would apply what God is saying about loving one another, this world would be a better place. If we would apply the concept of being a peacemaker, then we would have less chaos. If we would apply what the Bible is telling us about our identity, then people wouldn't be so confused. So the scriptures are essential. The Bible that you own is a precious commodity. Why? Because God is the author. God is the author. And God is speaking to us through the Bible. And if we're looking for direction, we need to read the Bible, we need to study the Bible, then we need to apply the Bible. Now, as we were talking about the scriptures, the Bible, I talked about how we can trust it, about how Dr. Luke, in his letter to Theophilus that we call the uh, book, of, uh, book of Acts, uh, as an example, was able to uh, name all of these places 
which archaeology has found to be true. He was precise. He was specific. So, yes, we believe in the Bible. We believe in the Bible through faith. That is the uh, word of God. But it's also reassuring to know that uh, we have archaeological evidence to back up the scriptures, such as localities. So when we uh, look at our scriptures, and, and I encourage you all who have not uh, listened to the previous episodes, this is actually the fourth edition uh, of this topic. I encourage you to go to our website and listen to the previous three. Uh, it would help you to make uh, a better um, understanding or get a better understanding, rather, of what we're talking about as it relates to God's word. So as we move on, we talk about uh, how Bible students uh, are often aware that that Bible, of course, contains 66 books. And it's obvious uh, when we look around our society that Bibles are not the same. So, for example, uh, the Catholic Bible uh, contains 73 books instead of our 66. Um, when you're looking at the Bibles used by Catholicism, um, they have additional books uh, such as the Apocrypha. And so theirs is not just limited to 66. It's more than that. Uh, the New World Translation, authored by the Watchtower and Tract Society that we call Jehovah Witnesses, uh, they call theirs a Bible too, but it's not the Bible because they have added to it and they have taken away uh, from the authentic Bible. Um, this New World Translation, in my estimation, um, does not even stand up to the Bible that you and I read on a daily basis. Um, and it's inconsistent with credible New Testament uh, grammar in terms of New World Translation. The Mormons, as an example, utilize the traditional Bible as we know it, but they also rely on additional books such as the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, uh, Book of Abraham, uh, Book of Nephi, uh, etc. And they call theirs a Bible also. But uh, again, when you compare to the uh, original text, it doesn't match up. So I guess the lesson is just because uh, someone is using the term Bible, we need to make sure that is the actual um, classical view of the Bible or, or rather the authentic view of the Bible that we as Christians have always uh, uh, embraced not just because of tradition, but because it's true. So it's important that uh, we test the spirit by the spirit and make sure that uh, what people are telling us is genuine, that it's authentic, uh, that it's the real thing. Um, now, many of you may have watched shows similar to those uh, of the History Channel that's found on the History Channel that suggest uh, that the Bible that we have excluded other books. So you'll see titles such as the lost books of the Bible, the, the books that Christianity didn't want you to know. So th things of that nature, uh, you see that on the history channel. And, um, we need to, we need to be careful, 
when um, we are veiling ourselves to these type of shows. Uh, number one, they often get so-called professors, experts that are outside of the uh, traditional view on purpose. Um, these individuals, for whatever reasons, uh, they have a different interpretation of uh, the classical view of the Bible. And many of the arguments uh, are not uh, accurate. And so in order to gain viewership, in my estimation, they put these individuals on to suggest uh, that they are lost books of the Bible uh, that we, we as Christians are trying to hide from the world. I uh, had an opportunity, even on this show, to speak to several experts. And you can go to our archives um, on our website if you care to listen to some of the shows um, with some of the leading experts. Um, Professor Bart, uh, uh, Gary Habermas, as an example. Um, he talks about the credibility of the Bible and some of the arguments that people have used in terms of the Bible's claims. And it's important that we, we, we pay attention and we know the information that uh, Dr. Habermas has for us uh, as an example. There are plenty more other guests that, uh, who are well-versed in uh, the authenticity of the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or New Testament. But here's the thing. These allegations regarding lost books of the Bible is really a misnomer. We as Christians, um, we're already privy to these books that were not included in the canon. And by candor, uh, we're talking about the standard. Uh, these books that uh, the world label as so-called lost books of the Bibles were never lost. Uh, the early Christians already knew about them, but they chose not to include them into our 66 books uh, because primarily all of them were vetted. And with uh, the ones that were excluded, reason why they were excluded, number one, uh, the early Christians used a criteria. One of the criteria was, can we prove that these writings came from the original source? So if uh, Paul wrote a letter, can we prove that this letter came from Paul? Uh, has it been passed down through credible hands for us to uh, validate whether or not it came from Paul. Um, did Eusebius talk about it in his writing? Did Polycarp talk about it in his writing? Did Irenaeus talk about this particular book in his writing? So one of the first criteria they used were to see if, they, if we could prove as a church that these, uh, this particular writing, this passage, was already in existence when the apostles were alive. So can we prove that these words actually came from the, uh, from the writer? And if that's the case, then they checked it off, and, and that was one of the steps. And then the second step is uh, the internal evidence. What is this um, letter saying? What is this passage saying? And if they found any inconsistencies in this particular uh, document, meaning that this document have, has something in it that contradicted what we already knew to be true, then it wasn't included. So those were the two primary criteria that they used in vetting whether or not a letter should be entered into the canon. 
and if, if it didn't meet those requirements, then it was excluded. And the thing about the so-called lost books of the Bible, like the book of Barnabas, book of Mary, and all these other books, is that um, they are parts or passages in those letters that are blatantly contradictory to other parts of the Bible that we have. So they were rejected. So they're not lost. The church always knew about it, but they, uh, through the unction of the Holy Spirit, knew not to include them because, obviously, it didn't come from the Holy Spirit. It came from uh, some other source, but not the Holy Spirit. So uh, th- those uh, letters, those books were excluded. Now, consider the issue of canonicity or standard, as I talked about before. The root word canon, which originates from the Greek culture. Uh, the Greek word canon, uh, K-A-N-O-N, means standard. It means a plumb line. It means a ruler. In other words, there's a standard of authenticity as well as interpretation as it relates to God's words. The Hebrew synonym of the word canon is read, measuring rod or stick. So, in other words, ancient Israelites also had a standard for determining if a proclamation was genuinely God's words as found in Ezekiel 40 and 3. The words found within the Bible are basically rooted in God's nature. So when we say this has been canonized, this, this is part of the canon, that's what we're saying. We're, we're saying this, uh, the, the 66 books of, the, uh, of our canon uh, comes from God's nature. And as a result, since God is true, his words are true. They come from him. The message has to be true because God is true. The canonicity of the Bible basically refers to the godly standard which certifies with confidence that the words are authentic and in harmony with God's nature. So the Bible that we carry around, the Bible that we read electronically, it comes from God's nature. Think about that. It comes from God himself. It's coming from God's nature. And I love the title of the book by the late Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, where he says, uh, from God to us, from God to us. It's a beautiful title, and it's a reminder that the Bible is not just an ordinary book, but it's a divine book because God is the author. Ancient Jews may not have overtly used the word canon as it relates to God's word, but it was implied. They did their best to preserve the authoritative writing of God. They believed God's words were divinely inspired and should be treated as sacred, should be treated as holy. This fact is further proven when we look at the way they treated the scrolls. They kept his words in the Ark of the Covenant, Deuteronomy 31, 24 through 26. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 31, verses 24 through 26. And subsequently, in the finished temple, they kept God's word in there as well, 2 Kings 22 and 8. Uh, and, and again, it's an indication that the words of God uh, were the standard, were the plumb line, were the rule. And it was, it was uh, uh, words that they received from God himself. Likewise, the writers of the New Testament also saw their writings as inspired, just like in the Old Testament, or coming from God. So since God is the primary author, he dictates what is contained within the Bible. Despite proposition by others that they have a new revelation, 
right? Oftentimes in contemporary history, uh, we have people that come along and they say they have a new revelation. Uh, and this revelation, whatever it, it is or whatever it may be, is at times contradictory to the rest of Scripture, but they have a new revelation. Well, if anyone comes to you preaching or teaching uh, alleged doctrine that is inconsistent with the passages or the doctrines that we already have established and affirmed, uh, Paul says in Galatians, the first chapter, let them be accursed. May anathema be upon them. So we must stick with God's word. We have all the revelation we're going to have. And whatever new revelation that God gives us is in harmony with what he's already given us and not contradictory. So if somebody say they have a new word, that, that word must be affirmed by the scriptures. Uh, if somebody say God is doing a new thing, make sure that new thing is consistent and in harmony with what we already have in the scriptures. So we must be careful. Like the watchman, we must be careful. Make sure that we're not being lured uh, by Satan and his trickeries. So God has given us all we need within the perimeters of the 66 books. The New Testament manuscripts, manuscripts, as an example, are dated early. Between AD 35 to AD 95 is when the New Testament was written. The Nicene Council, as an example, was held in AD 325. The goal as, as to resolve disagreement, talking about the Nicene Council, within certain churches regarding the doctrine of the Godhead, Christology, the canonization, and Easter. So the Nicene Council was the first attempt by the universal church to establish a uniform belief based on manuscripts. It was not until the Council of Hippo, A.D. 393, and the Council of Carthage, A.D. 397, that we finally received the final form of the New Testament. So in short, the writings of the New Testament were all completed by the 4th century. This is the historicity of our Bible. It's early. It's early. And, and when something is early, that means that um, it leaves little time for fables and genealogies and, and other false star stories to seep in. Uh, but, so we can trust our Bible. It is the authentic word of God. Uh, it's God's message to all of us. And we pray uh, that you've gotten something from these episodes dealing with our Bible, uh, I can't encourage you enough, not only own your Bible, but please read the Bible, study the Bible, and then definitely apply the Bible. It's a beautiful uh, work of art, but more than an artwork, it is, it, 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 it is a book for the soul. Uh, it's through the Bible that we learn about salvation. Now, as always, we thank you for listening. We appreciate all of the prayers and all of the good wishes as we endeavor to train Christians and to provide resources to help believers like yourself defend the faith and to better understand your, uh, the, the, the walk uh, that requires us to carry a cross. Uh, if you would like to be a financial supporter, please go to our website, srministries.org, or you can write it. 
your donation to Sound Reason Ministries, P.O. Box 582306. Remember to do for the truth what others do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.